You're listening to the Hindu Business Line's Field Notes podcast with T.R. Vivek. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Field Notes, the Hindu Business Line's podcast on all things agribusiness. I'm your host, T.R. Vivek. This week, we are going to look outside India's shores across the Pork Strait. Neighboring Sri Lanka in recent months has been ravaged by food shortages. The government has responded by introducing a state of emergency by the end of August. The crisis is, of course, in part due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but also some decisions by the Gotabaya Rajapaksha government that can be very charitably described as crackpot. In April this year, the country imposed a ban on the use of synthetic or chemical fertilizers. With the stroke of a pen, the government wants to make the island nation of nearly 22 million people and 1.8 million farming families into a fully organic food-producing country. A globally pioneering effort that was supposed to make the country a chemical-free paradise and the farmers prosperous given that they could export high-value organic products Used to Europe and elsewhere has turned into an unmitigated disaster. Farming output has fallen without the use of fertilizers, food prices have shot through the roof, tea exports that contribute about 10% of its global shipments are on a decline, and farmers are on the streets protesting. Scientists have roundly criticized this exotic move and fear that the crisis is actually only now beginning to unfold. Sri Lanka's major crop cycle is between October and February. The full effect of a ban on chemicals would be felt the most in the coming months. Sri Lanka's crisis has great relevance for India. In India too, several state governments like Andhra plan to go completely organic in the next decade or so. Even the central government enthusiastically promotes ideas like zero-budget natural farming. Justified fears around climate change and ecological threats has helped activists offer organic farming as the only alternative. It is fair to say that organic farming now doesn't have supporters in India but only devotees. To tell us more about the ground situation in Sri Lanka and the anatomy of this crisis, we have with us today Professor Buddhi Marambe, who teaches at the University of Peradaniya in the Agriculture Department. And he's one of the many scientists who have been critical of this organic move. Welcome to Field Notes, Professor Marambe. Thank you very much for inviting me. Professor, tell us how bad is the situation in Sri Lanka for Indians who may not be following this on a daily basis? How bad are the food shortages? How is it affecting the poor and the farming community? Okay, once again, thanks a lot for getting me on board for this program. When you look at the current scenario in Sri Lanka, what we experience right now with respect to agriculture, the soaring food prices and so on, I see it as a scientist, it's as a confounding effect of climate change, as well as a resultant factor of the policy level decisions that have been taken and the mode of implementation of the policies. Because you can take good policies, but when the implementation goes wrong, the country will be in deep trouble. So my point here is that the resultant factor that we are experiencing right now is a confounding effect of all those. Take the weather, for example. Weather gods were not very good. I mean, the focus on Sri Lanka was extremely poor, I think, when you look at the extreme weather conditions that we experienced for the last 
two to four weeks. I mean, damaging our vegetable crops, damaging even planted paddy crops as well in several districts. Anyway, those impacts will be seen later, but the impact on the vegetable price, the impact on the vegetable production has seen immediately because of the soaring vegetable prices, lack of supply to the main dedicated economic centers in the country and so on. That has affected us very badly, especially the poor who do not have proper purchasing capacity and so on. So those are the ones that have got affected. But when you come to the overall policy part, which I still think it's an underlying critical issue. Before we go to that, give us a sense of how expensive is food now when you say compare it to last year or to peacetime. Prices have gone up in the range of 40 to 63 percent, for example. That's what the experts say. I also looked at the prices compared to last year and in 2019. So that's a level of increase that you can see. But I still feel this is a short-term impact because of the weather, bad weather that we experience. But it's not going to improve further when you look at the way certain policy decisions are implemented in Australia. And what are the commodities where the hit is being felt the hardest? For the time being, vegetables. That's where the heat is where heat is being seen hardest because for other crops, the fertilizer and those things where they are in the minor season, the Australian has procured well in advance. So the agricultural inputs were made available, not at the correct time, but still the distribution system worked to a certain extent. But when you come to short-term crops like vegetables, that's where the major problem is at this particular moment. We were reading of accounts of people queuing up outside supermarkets where you know milk powder was extremely scarce. Is that a problem as well in terms of dairy products, unavailability of dairy products? Yeah, dairy products, I'm not talking about the produce from Sri Lanka, but the okay. imported milk products, especially okay. the milk powder, mainly we all know it's nothing to hide here. We all know there's a foreign currency issue with respect to Sri Lanka. And those things have affected a lot, especially in relation to the imported food products. One thing that you mentioned right now is the milk powder, which has been imported mostly. We also do certain level of production in Sri Lanka, but then still the majority is brought in. And that is where mm-hmm. the issue is. That's where you see people are lining up queuing up for the limited number of packs that have been distributed sorry that you can purchase from a supermarket even at this particular time is the emergency still on well, the emergency was put forward with a different idea because of the COVID pandemic scenario and so on. But even at that time, we knew what is in store for us in terms of foreign currency. So it's a kind of, a, say, an extension of what we experienced a few months ago because we are going into trouble in terms of foreign exchange earnings. We are in trouble right now, actually, but we have to come out of it somehow or other. No argument at all. But for the time being, the situation is not good. Professor, give us a sense of the importance of agriculture in the economy and social life of Sri Lanka. Well, Sri Lanka is termed as an agriculture-based economy, though the primary production, the contribution of the primary production is about 7% in the past years as well. Well, the overall scenario is that if you add the value-added component also into it, I'm sure the contribution, we have done certain calculations based on available data, getting the help of our agricultural economies also, it will be about 13 to 14%, max 15% for the time being when the value-added component is also brought in together. But mind you, about 1.8 million farmers are there and about 65 to 70 percent of the rural folks their livelihood depends on agriculture so you simply cannot
cannot ignore the impact as well as the contribution of agriculture to the gross domestic product, naturally the national economy. Now take us through the anatomy of this crisis. You spoke about a foreign exchange crisis exacerbated by COVID. And I was reading that one of the reasons why this move to ban synthetic fertilizers was to slash the bill, import bill of about $400 million worth of fertilizer that you import. Is that true? I think you put that point very correctly forward. We wanted to slash the bill of about $400 million, estimated, I must tell you. But that was not the one that we were spending, not the amount that we were spending in the past is much lower but then still that was put forward but the issue with respect to foreign currency was not put forward when this decision was taken i see that as two things two tier things one thing is to smash down the import bill quite right and the second point was not put forward which is the foreign currency issue but the main condition or main basis as far as we learned from the His Excellency, the President, when he put forward the idea in front of public on 22nd April, and thereafter the Cabinet of Ministers also approved the Cabinet paper submitted by him, slashing or banning the importation of synthetic fertilizer and pesticides. The main idea was to look after the human health and the environmental health. Those are the two conditions that were put forward mainly. To get into the anatomy of this decision, is this the whim of a new president who comes into power or has there been a lot of debate and discussion in the country about reducing or doing away with chemical inputs in agriculture? The election manifesto of the president was converted to the national policy framework later, which includes a very important item saying that in the next 10-year period, we will be moving into organic agriculture and organic farming. So that was written clearly black and white, and there was a clear cut pathway that has been given. But what happened in the recent past is when I looked at the overall policy framework, it's not aligning with it because a decision was taken all of a sudden that the importation of agricultural inputs, synthetic products will be banned. And that's going to have a big blow on agriculture in Sri Lanka because our agriculture has evolved like in India over the years. Right. And paddy production, for example, we have we had mere 0.65 tons per hectare in 1940s. We have brought it up to about 4.8 tons per hectare, 7.4 fold increase in a time span about eight years. That's a huge jump when you consider this small country having about 46 agroecological regions, seven agroclimatic regions, and three climatic zones, and also about 200 different soil series. I mean, we cannot forget that in such a diverse environment, bringing in the national productivity up to that level with the assistance of agricultural inputs is not a joke. It's a Herculean task that we have achieved. And we have been in the correct track and moving forward in terms of productivity enhancement further. But this decision that was taken all of a sudden to ban everything that we have been using as an agricultural impulse to achieve this productivity is putting definitely agriculture in jeopardy. And the impacts will be seen to the best possible knowledge of me based on my experience in research, working with the farmers in both segments. You see the so-called chemical agriculture and organic agriculture, what I see is the impact will be seen towards the end of this main cultivating season. And that's for sure. Professor Marambe, that a political party puts making the country organic over the next decade into its manifesto would perhaps mean that there is widespread public support or craving or a desire to move wholesale to organic? 
Well, in Sri Lanka, I don't think people look at every particular point put forward in an election manifesto and, as you said, I mean, dissecting it further and try to analyze it. No, it's mm-hmm. a face value that, that's taken in this part of the world. I'm sure in India also, in most of the cases, that happens. So, I mean, it's good to see quite a significant number of people have voted for His Excellency the President. But this is a small part of a big election manifesto that has captured many ideas. That does not mean the whole country agrees to the election manifesto because remember in terms of executive presidency we are voting for a person Mm -hmm. so there's comparison between people actually so you have to understand that aspect but then still the decision that has been taken it's not aligning with the election manifesto i ask you because i remember reading about even in 2011 a lot of concerns about the ecological damage and the health damage caused by chemical farming did that become an emotive issue In terms of discussion, people bringing in ideologies, yes, I must tell you, yes, because there were big issues that that came into limelight where people came up with different hypotheses saying that these agrochemicals, fertilizers and synthetic pesticides are the contributing factors for non-communicable disease that are spreading, especially focusing on the agriculture-related areas, which we call it chronic kidney disease of uncertain etiology. I mean, the discussions have been going on, but in the recent past, about a few months ago, the chairperson of the National Research Council, a medical professional himself, a professor from a university, came up in public at a TV debate, actually a discussion, explained the scenario saying that it's not fertilizer, it's not agrochemicals all in all, or not the heavy metals that are claimed to be there contaminated in the fertilizer and pesticide. It's mainly lack of drinking water, good quality drinking water, and the high fluoride content naturally occurring in most parts of the dry soil where this disease is prevalent. So actually what we have done is that though the chemist came forward in early 1990s, gave the same example and gave the same verdict with respect to disease, but people did not buy it. Scientists did not buy it very unfortunately. And we have wasted 30 long years to come to the same conclusion. So the point is that there were a lot of myths, a lot of whims and fancies of people have been put forward, brought forward. Unfortunately, it has been kind of a motto of many politicians in this Sri Lanka. And the issue is that people have been trying to romanticize agriculture everywhere. That's mm-hmm. the unfortunate part. And I must tell you, agriculture is a science. The scientists and the farming community, they do practice science. In doing agriculture, you all, we all know that we have to think science and do science. If you do not do that, agriculture will end up nowhere, actually. So once this is understood, actually people have started realizing it right now. But by the time people have started realizing it, here comes an issue where the agriculture inputs have been curtailed to a significant extent. So, I mean, it will be some time for us to get back into a normal routine and the normal productivity patterns if this practice at least continue for another season. If it's going to go ahead, I don't think Sri Lankan agriculture will ever recover. Unfortunate part, once again, I mean, I put the blame on people who are said to be scientists, who are said to be intellectuals. They can have their whims and fancies. I do have whims and fancies, but I don't want to get them realized on the national budget. 
That's not my way of doing things. I mean, we have a national responsibility. When you do that, when you look at the productivity, you look at the reality and the livelihood of our people, I think we should look at the scientific part of it, not based, I mean, not based our thinking based on some gods and so on. That's not the way of looking at it. And the politicians also must be extremely careful to get the advice from the correct people, from the true scientists and use and make sure the available scientific evidence to make decision making and then and only then, not only agriculture, the whole economy will prosper. And that is where the problem that we have faced in the past. How did President Rajabaksha come to this, this decision? Was there a group of scientists? Was there, was there a scientific discussion around this? Or was it just, you know, wake up one fine morning and as I said, the whim of a ruler? It's a bit difficult for me to respond to that because not getting associated with the team. Now, look, I'm an academic. Just because the politicians did not consult me, that doesn't mean politicians have not consulted academics. There would have been a group, definitely. Every leader will have a group of scientists, academia, supporting them. So it's all depend on that. It's difficult for me to respond directly, but only thing I can tell you is a wrong advice has been given. No ifs, no buts. That's unfortunate right. part. Sir, on the ground, how does a ban on chemical fertilizers play out? Has there been a lot of spurious stuff smuggled into the country because farmers really habituated to conventional farming would be completely stuck without proper inputs that they've been using for a long time. Uh, what is the ground situation there? And the government also seems to be doubling down on this ban, despite the protests and scientists like you voicing their concerns about this move. Yeah, let me answer the question with an example. In 2016, when the then government banned the herbicide called glyphosate, Mm -hmm. after about one to two years, we started seeing products flooding in, illegally brought in from India, especially from South India. I mean, we started talking about boat pesticides, and that's the kind of nickname that was given. And even right now, we are experiencing a lot of products that have been brought in. I'm not saying everything from India, but probably from South India. There are a lot of material which are illegally brought in and that are being banned even before this ruling came up. Because Sri Lanka has a history of banning class 1 and class 2 pesticides based on the WHO classification. And we are now focusing more on class 3 and class 4. That's a good sign. And that line of thinking was there for several years. There was a gradual process that is moving on. Now, here comes a scenario. We all of a sudden find out things are piling up in this country. And that's not going to do any good. Because we have a quality tested product in Sri Lanka, which was distributed among farmers with a controlled distribution distribution system. But what we experience right now is the products of similar brand names, similar ingredients, but not of the same quality because there's no quality control at all, are flooding the market and the farmers using at a heavy cost. The prices are exorbitant, for example, when you look at, because usually I have heard people, farmers coming and complaining that in the previous scenarios without this band, a urea, pack of urea would have been brought at about 1,500 rupees from the market. But now the prices are shot up to about 8,000 rupees in the market, about three to four times higher. Now, where are we going to end up like this? I mean, the quality is one issue. The price is another issue. Do you think farmers' livelihood will be safeguarded? Do you mm-hmm. think the consumers' health would be safeguarded? I think we, we, I think we are moving into a disaster, not only in terms of quantity of material that we are producing. It is also quality, which matters with respect to food security that we are all worried about.
sir the reaction when the story first broke in the indian media around september this year the reaction from the die hard organic devotees was that you know this is a great move and you know these are initial teething troubles that are inevitable and perhaps the farmers should be trained better to move into an organic system and that this is the way forward and any criticism of what is happening in sri lanka was seen as as being sort of anti eco friendliness or anti climate change i don't think there were interventions as you said my intention is not to blame organic agriculture i mean there are there are communities in sri lanka there are good businessmen who have been into organic agriculture still there are, there are people who are doing it and if you look at the overall extent of cultivation out of the agricultural land area about 2.5% have been devoted to organic agriculture so that business that segment of agriculture has been progressing gradually i think we have to support that there are two parallel lines in this whole system we are not going to kick out technology at any cost that should not be the way you have to make sure we in organic agriculture can be done in a given agroecology let's support that but mm. in terms of national level food security via agricultural production and productivity enhancement has to be done locally for example that is where we require agricultural inputs coming in to make sure the maximum or the optimum yield out of the new high yielding varieties in certain cases hybrids are to be obtained right mm-hmm. so let these two things work in parallel let the organic agricultural products organic farming bring in the much required dollars to this country in the meantime let the conventional agriculture system start supporting and as you quite correctly said when the ideology was put forward there was a lot of support not only from india even from countries in european union even there was switzerland support from switzerland though the switzerland government back farming community voted against total banning of pesticides for example i mean i'm not trying to blame anybody when you have an ideology you will try to support that ideology and that has that's human nature as well but please do keep this in mind we are at the receiving end advices mm-hmm. are given to be taken or to be ignored depending on the local circumstances that's what we have to look into for example sri lanka will not be worried about indian food security isn't it right and vice versa is the same so we have to look after our, our food security we have to look at our national circumstances so let get all those advices and we have to do what we can do best everything has a place in this ecosystem so so let's use those technologies at the best possible places that we can do that we can that they can work well and look at all other options available that's how economies will move prosper once again it's we are not here to romanticize agriculture we are not here to bring up ideologies without utopian we are here to things i mean put things on the ground make sure farming community prosper and our agricultural economy prosper and to ensure the nutrition security of nation exactly when i say food security nutrition security is in, included i mean i must tell you according to your definition but let's let's take those terms together food and nutrition security that's what matters to us so we have to work towards it in the long run i mean you cannot educating household food security making sure that happens doesn't not necessarily mean national level food security is met i mean mm-hmm. why are we talking about entrepreneurial farmers why are we talking about agriculture as a business i mean you have to think on those lines commercial agriculture of course organic agriculture is also commercial agriculture but more focused on foreign currency gaining but here comes a commercial agriculture segment which supports our own community and that's where matters work and that's where we have to be very sensitive looking after the farming community and food security together now i must tell our listeners that professor marambe has also worked in the area of promoting organic farming yeah, uh, exactly. in sri lanka 
You are quite right. I mean, I, I'm the, I was the assistant secretary to the Lanka Organic Agriculture Movement from 2001 to 2003. And I mean, there were a lot of people who were involved in that time and they were helping me and I'm helping them to make sure organic agriculture prosper. But that a, that a different focusing on niche environment and focusing on niche markets. I mean, right. that's how things have happened elsewhere as well. If organic agriculture has been promoting everywhere, if organic agriculture has produced massive quantities of yields, volumes, and so on. Why is that? Only 1.5% of the total agricultural land area in the whole world is still organic. That's the mm -hmm. only thing because remaining 98.5% of the agricultural land is on conventional agriculture. Right. I mean, so, it uh, speaks for everything, isn't it? Right. No, no. I just wanted to clarify that you may not have any vested interest in, mm, in, no, in no, decrying I, organic okay. farming. No, that's, that's a good thing that you said. I mean, a lot of people tell that I have been getting certain level of financial backing from fertilizer markets and so on. I mean, I have to tell you at this stage, my PhD is on compost, on animal waste compost. And after coming back to Sri Lanka in 1993, doing my master's and PhD in Japan, I started working on effective microorganisms with late Professor Ravi Sangakkar. Maybe you know him or not. And then after several years of work, I was trying to help the Lanka organic agriculture movement. Then I became an administrator at the university. Soon after completing that administration, I was invited through our vice chancellor to serve in technical capacity in a very strong agribusiness-based industry in this country, private sector. I was there in the board for nine years sitting there board meetings and doing my, doing my job in technical capacity. In 2018, I resigned from that because I knew my knowledge is not necessarily required by the company anymore. So that's my own decision. And I mean, doing all that things, I'm talking with that experience or experience in organic agriculture and experience in conventional agriculture. I see this happening and seen this happening in the past. And you don't need to know rocket science to predict the future when a decision right. goes wrong in a country like ours. Right. There are some reports here that Dr. Vandana Shiva may have had some role to play in convincing your government to turn all organic, as we all know that she is a great ideologue in the organic camp. Is that true? Does she have any influence in, in Let me Lankan? tell you once again, as I told you, I'm not downgrading in organic agriculture at all. I also have a lot of respect to Professor right. Vandana Shiva. I must tell you that first. I heard this story, but I do not have any facts to prove, actually. So I better not talk about something that I do not know at this stage. But, right. I, but I saw Professor Vandana Shiva coming in and supporting our government for the decision that has been taken, considering it as a bold decision. Well, that's fine. Once again, advices are given, compliments are given. But we Sri Lankans, we have to look after our food security. Nothing to it. Right. Sir, finally, let me ask you, what would your advice be, given the experiences that you've had in recent months, or your message to other Indians here who are pushing for a similar course of policy action? Let me use a word that I use. I mean, don't, don't blame me. I'm using the same word repeatedly. Right, right. Agriculture is livelihood of people. And countries like us are based on agricultural development. And we have a long history of evolution in agriculture as well as technology. I'm so sorry for using this word. Every Tom, Dick and Harry cannot go and do agriculture. Agriculture is a science. So please do not romanticize agriculture. Once again, I'm repeating that. Use the scientific knowledge and do agriculture based on science. It's evidence-based decision-making that will help anyone, not only agriculture or in, it's any other segment of the economy, will prosper when you make the correct decision based on evidences that you have. And that evidence should be based on scientifically valid experimentation. That's the most important part. If you do that, 
there's no no difficulty at all in improving agriculture or any other economic sector in any given country look at what has happened in the developing world look at how they have used their databases look at how they are used their scientific ideas and so on based on data based on very validly analyzed science look at how they have made decisions and at least let's try to learn from them in these things i mean we have very proud histories to boast about but we cannot go and live in those histories right now the world is changing i mean let's look at it let's understand the reality and please i'm i'm, I'm pleading everyone that menshua agriculture is going to be the scientific science based industry and that is the way forward if you are going to move out of all the difficulties that we have thank you thank you very much professor budhi marambe and we hope that sri lanka tides over this crisis very soon and good sense prevails thank you very much for joining us thank you very much for taking me on board thank you